0: my mother specifically through her last days and on Monday she did pass away and uh, it was a powerful, powerful experience. Many of you have done this and you know this how this feels. Uh, we walked the journey and um, it's it's been really, I think, one of the most meaningful times of my entire life as uh, we gathered around her. She got a diagnosis a little over a month ago. And at 87, that she had uh, brain cancer and that she would pass in a matter of weeks. And uh, we got to spend time with her. She got to gather all of her grandkids except for our daughter, who's just four weeks postpartum, wasn't able to get there. But a lot of face time with her. And uh, the sweetness of that time was powerful. Uh, I told my mom the, the diagnosis. I think I shared this a few weeks ago. And she said, I'm okay with that. I'm okay with that. And many times we would gather around and we would discuss this with my, my, uh, my other three siblings. And we would tell her what the doctor told us, how this was going to happen. And said, Mom, you're, you're probably just going to go to sleep and wake up in heaven. And uh, she would say stuff like, when? I'm ready. Let's, let's get on with it. We got her home from rehab and got, got her set up for hospice care. And when we got her home, she looked at the p- walls, and she had decorative plates on the walls. And that was kind of one of her things. And and uh, she looked at the walls. She said, we got to get these plates down. My sister said, why? She said, I'm not going to be here long. And after she passed, we uh, we spent some time as a family giving out some of those plates and a lot of those things that meant so much to her. And it was weirdly therapeutic in a way that I could say, This is pieces of her going out to her kids and grandkids. Um, Mom lived a life that, um, an amazing godly life. She was born into a Christian family with a great Christian heritage, great Baptist heritage. She uh, was saved at a young age. She raised her family in church. She worked in church. She held roles in church. She made friends in church. She went to all of our events. She was a part of our lives constantly. Prayed for us every day. She had a a spot in her house where she would sit and read the Bible and pray. And we found her prayer book, and the kids were taking pictures of different pages of requests where she had prayed for each one. And she would tell us that she prayed for us each day. But mom suffered terribly. She had rheumatoid arthritis for the last 48 years, and uh, every day was a painful day at some level. And She walked that journey, and then 20 years ago, right at the time of life, and some of you are at that time of your lives where you're like, this is the time of our lives, we're going to have fun. We worked hard, we built a family, we built a business, and we were about to really enjoy life. My father died of a brief illness. So for the last 20 years, she lived as a widow, and she wrestled with those questions. Many of you have wrestled with the question of suffering. Why does God allow this suffering? She didn't wrestle with it in the sense that she stopped believing or questioned God as unloving, but she wondered why. What was the purpose in that? And why she would ask this question? And we had many great discussions. And she'd, she'd say, "Well, if you're married and you're one flesh, how come when your spouse dies, you don't go with him?" She's like, "I, I want to be with my husband. I, I, I that's that's the part of that's who I am." And so. Um, and, you know, in those discussions, in that wrestling, more than getting answers, she was knowing God. She was understanding a close relationship with him. And I love that about her. And, um, and I, I had these discussions over and over again with her. And I began to realize it's not about her knowing the answers, it's about her knowing her Savior in a very deep and powerful way. And she grew sweeter even as she grew older, even as she grew weaker, and even as she knew her last days were coming. It was a very, very powerful moment. Mom had a great heritage, and she leaves a great heritage. Nearly all of her 14 grandchildren have a relationship with Jesus Christ and are involved in their church. That's something only God can something of great, great value. And as I spent time with my siblings and uh, their spouses, and um, it was incredible to see what God had done in my mom's life and to hear their experience with Christ in a way that I don't think I'd ever heard on that level. And uh, I just thought about how rare that is. And you start to realize, I didn't have anything to do with it. This is something God has done in us. We have to value our family more than ever before. Not because my mom and dad were perfect parents, because they were not, but because our God is an amazing God. It's an amazing God. And so I want to talk to you today on the subject Family Matters. And we're continuing our series in the book of Genesis, talking about Noah. We're going to talk about some key aspects of family that aren't often talked about, and some of them, honestly, are a little bit uncomfortable. And we're going to share a story today from the book of Genesis and the story of Noah that most of us skip. And quite frankly, I really considered skipping it myself because it's uncomfortable. It's difficult. It's hard to understand. But I want to encourage you, when you encounter those passages in Scripture, take some time, some extra time. To see what God is saying, even in the difficult passages, this is why we preach through major sections of Scripture, Michaela Fitzpatrick. We we preach through major sections of Scripture. Why? So that we don't miss some of the great, deep, rich things of God, just because we wanted to go on to things that we understand. So today, family matters. Genesis chapter nine, verses eighteen through twenty-eight. Genesis chapter 9, verses 18 through 28. Let's set the stage. We're at the point where you remember God called Noah to build what we call a boat. It was really more of a box, and it was filled with God's creation, his animals and the sons of Noah and their wives, and Noah's wife, eight people, a bunch of animals. He called him to do this, and in doing this, he condemned the world because he was saying to the world, I'm going to destroy you. I'm going to destroy all evil, and Noah is the only one that I find to be Righteous, important word in scripture. Righteous does not mean perfect. Righteous means someone who's seeking to worship God. Righteous is someone who, who lives as the best they can under the will of God. They don't earn his favor, but yet they are worshiping him, right? So God recognizes Noah. He builds this incredible uh, this incredible box or boat, and it floats, and God sends rain. God is faithful, and he does destroy the earth. He does destroy all of evil and it drowns they're in the ark over 40 day over over a hundred over a year excuse me a hundred took them a hundred years to build it they're on the ark for over a year uh, long cruise for you cruisers really long cruise food probably got a little old entertainment probably wasn't great so um, and the stops were non-existent so long cruise finally floods go away they open up the ark god renews his covenant to noah and they're told to be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth. And at this point, I'm thinking, this is going to be a great story. It's going to be a Hallmark ending. It's going to be so great, right? Um, I'm going to write a Hallmark, incidentally, movie sometime. And I love your input. Uh, we all know the plot, but there's going to be a twist somehow. I don't know. I, don't, I think she marries the boyfriend that comes back at the end instead of the guy, instead of the handyman that she's been with the whole time, right? Another discussion. But you think it's gonna go well, don't you? You just it's set up to end well. It's set up, you know, these they got rid of all that evil, and now we got this righteous family, and it's 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 gonna be good, and and Noah's gonna raise his kids, and by golly, they're gonna grow up to have righteous families, and it's just gonna continue like that for the rest of time. And the Bible, I don't know what the rest of the Bible's about. Maybe it's about Psalms and music and all that. It's, that's how it should feel. First time I read this as a kid, I was like, that's that's what's gonna happen, but that's not what happens. Humans are infected with evil. They're infected with the disease of sin. And the message of this story, just to give it away a little bit, is that even when God deals with all that evil outside, he's going to deal with the evil within. And God has to send a Savior. So Genesis chapter 9, verses 18 through 19. This is going to get a little weird, so please hang with me. If you want to discuss it afterwards, I don't want to. No, if you, <laughs> you want to discuss it afterwards, I'll be happy to. A little deeper. Yeah, go to a life group; they'll explain it. Um, so, I just want to skip this, Julie. Can I just skip to the next section? We're going to start talking about Abram. Let's let's do that. All right, let's go. Here we go. Buckle up, everybody. Here is of age. I hope. Okay. Here we go. Um, first. I've been away, so I'm out of practice, so just help help me, Lord, help me. Thank you, Julie. Way to be a good pastor is have a great wife. All right, Genesis 9, 18 says this. The sons of Noah went forth from the ark, were Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Ham was the father of Canaan. These three were the sons of Noah, and from these the people of the whole earth were dispersed. Now, this is one of those sections of Scripture that says, okay, I want you to listen up, because... All of, the, all of the peoples of the earth are going to come from Noah's kids. It kind of goes without saying, but it's important that he says it because they need to understand. Remember, he's writing. This is, this is really written down by Moses, most likely, and he's telling the people of Israel why things are the way they are, right? It's kind of what he's saying. And so he mentions the three sons of Noah, and he also throws in this guy named Canaan as a son of Ham. reason they do that is because what land will the people ultimately want to conquer? It will be the land of Canaan. And who are the primary enemies of the Jews through much of the narrative of the Old Testament? The Canaanites. Various types of Canaanites, and we'll go into that in the future. But understand that what he's saying is, okay, Ham's son, remember Canaan. And all the people who are writing to are going, yeah, Canaanites are the worst people in the world and all that. So that's, that's why that's said that way. Verse 20. Gets a little weird. And again, you're thinking Noah's a good guy, right? What's what it says? Noah began to be a man of the soil. Not a bad thing. Grow stuff, you know. Um. And he planted a vineyard, and he drank of the wine, and became drunk and lay uncovered in his tent. What? Why does God tell us these bad things about his people? This is a hero. I'm excited about Noah. He saved his life. He saved his family. He built the ark for a hundred years, and now he's laying drunk and naked. What in the world? Well, let's talk about it. This is the first mention of alcohol in scripture. Uh, A lot of people, a lot of commentators feel like Noah was the first one to make wine. Don't know that for sure because it could have existed pre-flood, but no one knows. So um, it seems like Noah may have been the one to figure it out, grows, he grows grapes, he produces wine, and it's really, um, you know, wine is mentioned in many places in the Bible. There's a lot of debate about it, and, um, Christians have struggled. Should you drink? Should you not drink? All those kinds of things. Let me just say a couple of things about this. First of all, wine is in scriptures mentioned in celebration, uh, mentioned, um, in comfort, But it's also mentioned in manipulation. And drunkenness is always a sin in Scripture. And a couple of examples. We'll see the story of Lot coming up in the future. And after Lot and his family leave Sodom and Gomorrah, his daughters think no one will marry them. So you know what they do? They get their father drunk and produce children by him. Crazy. So alcohol, again, used to manipulate. David, remember David, the story of David and Bathsheba? What happens? David takes another man's wife. She gets pregnant. Her husband is a soldier, a leader of David's army. He brings him back to town. For what reason? So that he'll be with his wife. Only Uriah is such a a man of honor that he goes, no, you're not supposed to be with your wife in the sense of be with your wife while your brothers are in the field fighting. So he doesn't go. So what does David do? He gets him drunk in the hope that he'll go into his wife and cover David's sin. Well, what happens? Uriah's too smart for that. He doesn't go. He sleeps outside the palace of the king. So drunkenness is a sin in Scripture. And honestly, those who use alcohol, you just need to understand it's dangerous. I hate alcohol, personally. I have never drank. Uh, I don't say that to be self-righteous. I just say that that I was saved from that problem. I hate it because of how many people have been destroyed by it especially in our culture, especially in our town. So if you're of age and you want to drink, that's not necessarily sinful. I just want you to be very careful. Be very careful who you're influencing, who you're showing that to, and how you're living. It's not necessarily sinful. It's just something I don't want it in my life because, honestly, I have a hard time enough uh, monitoring my chocolate level. So I don't want to have to worry about something else that I have to monitor so but really it's not a bad thing necessarily that Noah drank Noah made wine that he got drunk is a problem and you might say well wait a minute Steve if he is the first one to make wine how could he have known that when he drank wine he would fall down drunk and naked how would he know that right you could think that and if you want to give him a pass on that I get it but wait a minute no one knows the God of the universe so well that he listened to him how he was going to build the ark, right? I think he might have asked God, God, what's going to happen when I drink this rotten grape juice? You know? You think he could have known So I don't think Noah gets a pass. I think you do see Noah's sin here. Um, he's drunk, and he falls down naked. And and when he says naked, it, it, you say, well, that's he's in his own home, but laying uncovered, causes there to be some challenges. It's inappropriate. I mean, you don't probably do that in your house. Most people don't. But um, at any rate, he is exposing himself in a way that is an occasion for the sins of others. You know, no dads are perfect. But we have to understand, you don't need to sin in this way. It's going to impact others. And that's what happens here. So... Verse 22. And Ham, the father of Canaan, notice again the mention of the father of Canaan. It just simply means that the land of Canaan, the people of Canaan, the Canaanites, the enemies of Jesus, is where they came from, saw the nakedness of his father and told his two brothers outside. At first reading, you're like, okay, so what? Hey, you know, dad's naked over there. What are we going to do? It's more significant than that. And the original language talks about he looked, and this is gross longingly at his father. This is a homosexual response. Some would say more that happened than he just saw him, but that's not in the text, and I think we need to be careful about adding to the text. The text simply says he looked longingly, and he talked about it, which was enough. He robbed his father of dignity. He exploited his father's sinful condition. He disrespected his father in a very real and very awful way. And it's interesting what Ham's response was versus what uh, Shem and Japheth's response was. Look at this in verse 23. Then Shem and Japheth took a garment, laid it on both of their shoulders, and walked backward and covered the nakedness of their father. Their faces were turned backward, and they did not see their father's nakedness. So here's what happened. Ham says, I'm going to exploit this. I want to look at it, and I want to tell people about it. But Shem and Japheth, they say, "No, we're gonna. We're not even. We're not gonna look at it. We're not gonna talk about it. Matter of fact, we're gonna cover it. We're gonna cover our father's sin. It's an incredible picture of what godly family members do. What godly brothers and sisters do. We try to. We don't try to exploit each other's sin. We want to cover it. We're not trying to to sin it even more because of what our fathers or our brothers and sisters did." We want to cover that up. It's a beautiful picture of what we are to do as brothers and sisters. Verse 24 and 25. When Noah awoke from his wine and knew what his youngest son had done to him, he said, Cursed be Canaan, a servant of servants. A servant of servants shall he be to his brothers. Now, Noah, someone tells him, Don't know how he finds out, but he realizes what's going on. And he says to Canaan, to him and Canaan, his son, basically, your line, your your progeny, your offspring will be servants to your other brothers. And he basically gives a curse or a prophecy that says this is how you're going to live. Now, he gets this. These are words from God because this, in fact, does turn out to be the way it is. They become the enemies of the people of God. And in the end, do serve Japheth and Shem. But what we have to understand here is Noah is making a clear differentiation between this level of evil and the rest of his family. It's a very sad part of the story. But it is a a part where Noah steps up and says, I'm not going to let this evil continue. Verse 26. He also said, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Shem, and let Canaan be his servant, may God enlarge Japheth and let him dwell in the tents of Shem and let Canaan be his servant. And after the flood, Noah lived 250 years. So Noah blesses his own sons, and he makes this prophecy that they will rule, that they um, they will serve God, that their families will be godly families, if you will. So that's the story. What does it mean to you in Delray Beach in 2023? I want to share four or five things that I think are very helpful for us to see. First of all, even from the best families, evil can emerge. It's crazy how Noah's family seems to have it all together. They're the picture of what a family ought to be, but then this evil thing pops up. You go, Where did this come from? It's evil. Even in the best families, evil can emerge. You know, humans are all vulnerable to evil. Um, And no parents are perfect. And I know you parents, some of you are, look, are thinking about your children, maybe your grown children, and some of them aren't following Jesus. Maybe most of them aren't following Jesus. And maybe you're thinking it's because of my own sin. And honestly, you need to be repentant of your own sin, but you also need to understand that ultimately they're responsible for their behavior. I'm so grateful for my family, but I didn't choose to be grown there. I didn't choose to be born into that family. I'm grateful for my kids. But honestly, they had to make decisions to follow Jesus on their own. We could just put them in a good position to do that. That's what you're trying to do in your family. And it's so valuable. And it's so amazing when they do follow Jesus. And it was amazing this week as we gathered and as we could hear from our own kids speak of their faith and speak of the faith of their grandmother and how they appreciated that. But know that even in the best families, evil can emerge. And honestly, if you had a rough family, and if your parents were very sinful, please stop blaming your parents for your problems. Maybe they didn't put you in the best position, but you have a Savior. and You have a way to be cleansed. Be thankful for that, and be thankful for the fact that they gave you life, if for no other reason. You don't need to spend your life saying, I'm a broken person because my dad was a failure, my dad was a drunk, my mom. Listen, you have Jesus who wants to make you new again. Anyone who is in Christ is a what? A new creation. Old things pass away, behold, all things become new. I hope that's a symbol of hope for you. Acknowledge the sins of your parents because they're there, all of us. But understand, we have a Savior who can make us new. Second, Godly families help cover the sins of others rather than exploit them. And when I say family, I include your, your, your natural family, but also your church family. Because that's what we want to be here. This should be, we should be even closer than brothers and sisters uh, who are connected by birth. Because we serve one Savior, and maybe your siblings don't. There should be a closeness here where we're not trying to exploit one another and gossip about one another and make fun of one another. We should be here saying, I want to I lift you up, and I know that you're a sinner. Everyone in here is a sinner. Hopefully all of us or most of us have been saved by Jesus Christ. And our goal is not to exploit each other's weaknesses, because if you're with someone long enough, you know what's wrong with them. Amen. But we want to live in such a way that we can encourage one another, us, cover each other's sin, help each other overcome their sin, and encourage them in their journey. Godly families cover the sins of others rather than exploit them. But godly fami- families must identify and limit their exposure to evil people. I love Henry Book's. Henry Cloud's uh, book, Necessary Endings. He talks about three different kinds of people. they are the wise, the foolish, and the evil. You've heard me say this before. The wise people, they basically hear from God. They do what they're supposed to do. The foolish people constantly have to be corrected, but they basically are manageable. But then evil people, they just want to hurt you. Noah stepped up and said, I'm not going to let you hurt us anymore, Ann. I'm identifying your evil, and I'm going to have to, Separate us from you. Some of you have had to make that decision with a family member. And it's been brutal. It's been hard. And you've had to say, I can't be with you. At least I can't be with you as much as I would have been otherwise. And I'm I'm going to have to separate myself from you because I can't let you continue to wreak havoc on the rest of our family. And that's true in church as well. We do the same thing. We will not allow people to wreak havoc on other members of our family in this church. We won't. There are evil people that they need to be limited in their conduct. You say, well, aren't we supposed to share Christ with evil? Absolutely, but you cannot allow them to wreak havoc and destroy your family or destroy your church. Fourth, we all need to say. This story reminds us of that. It looks great. Everything's going to be perfect. And you're thinking, if you're single right now, you're thinking, I want to be married. I'm going to have a perfect wife and a perfect family. My kids are all going to do what they're supposed to do. They're going to be raised to follow Jesus, and it's going to be great. And I hope that happens, and you should plan for that to happen. But you also have to understand that your kids will need a Savior. They will. You have to raise them to understand. This story sets us up for the story of Abram and the story that ultimately leads to Jesus. It says, We all need a Savior. We all need to admit that we are sinners at whatever level. Because all sin leads to death, right? For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We all need a Savior. Have you received the Savior? Because there is a Savior. There is a Savior named Jesus Christ, and he paid the price for people like me and people like you. But I have to admit that I am that I need him. I have to live in a way that says I, I want to live a repentant life. And every time I sin, I, I, I want to be convicted of that sin and be able to repent of that sin. I need a Savior. No family, no matter how good, is enough. I need a Savior. See family matters And each of you can be a part Of the ultimate family Jesus bought your way in If you'll admit that you need a price So let me ask you How's your family experience Are you blaming others For your own sin Are you exploiting Or are you covering The sins of others Do you need to limit your exposure To some evil People in your life, you need to say, I, it's amazing to me how many people say, well, there's evil in the world, but they're out there in the evil all the time, and they're wondering why they're struggling. Is there some evil you need to limit in your life? You need to get out of, get away from. And finally, are you a member of Jesus' family? Today, you can be a member of Jesus' family. Tonight, we will do baptism to celebrate those who have become members of Jesus' family. It's a way to take on his name publicly to say, I needed to be saved. I needed to be cleansed. I needed to die and be raised as a new person. That's what this is a symbol of. Oh, if he's calling you. If he's leading you. If he's drawing you to himself to say, I repent of my sins and I want you, Jesus, to be my brother, my father, and I want to be a part of your family. Make today the day. Say yes to Jesus because you need a savior. Would you bow with me? We bow our heads. We do that to say to ourselves and to God that I, I want to communicate with you. We close our eyes to shut out the outside world and just for a moment or two, say Jesus. What do you want for me right now? Are you Do you belong to his family? Or is he drawing you into his family? If he's drawing you into his family, it's really as easy as saying, Yes, Jesus, I repent of my sin, and I need you, Jesus, to save me. I want the price that you paid to count for me. Or maybe you've been a part of his family, but you haven't been living as part of his family need to come back. need to live as a family member, not as someone who's estranged. Heavenly Father, we praise you for who you are. We praise you for making a way for us to be a part of your family. Even though we are sinful, even though you hated sin so much that you wiped it out with a flood, you came and died for those of us who are sinners. God, I want so much Everyone, Lord, to respond to your word. To know the joy of being forgiven and being a part of your family. To know your goodness. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Would you stand as we sing the goodness of God? Good. Uh-huh. Thank you so much for being in worship today. That The question is, what happens now? right? Are you going to live as a part of the family of God? Are you going to do what he's already laid on your heart to do? Tonight's beach baptism, 5 o'clock. Don't miss that. If you need to be baptized, that's a question in your life. I'll be right here. I'd love to chat with you. I'd love to help you understand what's happening. And remember, this is a picture of what Jesus has already done in your life life. Some people will say to me, you know, I I get saved, but I really don't want to be baptized because I really feel like then I've got to do something different. If he saved you, you already are different. You're not sure, let's talk about it. To make that statement is simply to say, it doesn't mean you're perfect, because I don't know anybody in here that's perfect. There's a couple of you that are pretty close, but this is what God wants to do in your life. It's just an, an investment into his kingdom. So don't miss out. I'll be here after Julie will be here with me. So good to be with you. I look forward to seeing you tonight at 5 o'clock. Let's pray. Father, we praise you for who you are. You're amazing. You hate evil so much, yet you sent Jesus to die for it. And all I have to do is repent and receive what you want to give. Pray we will live that way this week as a family of God. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you.